Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Evenings at 9. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for joining me today. Hope your week's been going well. Can't believe it's Friday already, but uh, hope your week has been good. We're going to have a wonderful uh, first hour. Uh, Bob Moeller's going to be joining me. He's uh, now the host of a weekly, nationally broadcast uh, weekly television call-in show called Marriage for Better or Worse. And it's uh, a Q&A on the Total Living Network. So you go to www.tln.com. It airs uh, Tuesday evenings at 8 and Thursday mornings at 11. And uh, he's going to be my guest on the show. We're going to talk about shame today. And shame is something that uh, if you have dealt with and and know something about, it's a difficult topic. And I know that uh, the enemy has uh, designs to keep you uh, stuck in shame, and uh, that's not what God wants for sure. So uh, he's going to be talking about uh, that this full hour, which means if you have a question or a comment or something you would like to uh, have Bob talk about, let me know what that is. 877-933-2484. 877-933-2484. Shame is the topic. My guest is Bob Moeller. Bob, welcome. Thank you, Bill. Appreciate coming back again. Yeah. How how is how is life on the road, I should say? Well, it's it's good. Uh we're uh, going to be doing some traveling uh this fall and this winter and uh you know, we'll just see how well we hold up. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, let's uh jump into this topic, which is not an easy one. Um, a lot of people suffer from shame. You know, I think more people suffer from shame than realize that they do. I think we tend to think of people uh, who struggle with shame as done, you know, some of the more outrageous, heinous, obvious types of things. But shame is often far more subtle than that. Someone said the difference between uh Guilt and shame is guilt is making a mistake. Shame is feeling that we are a mistake. Ooh, that's that's good. And that is, and, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> well, I'm just going to, I think a lot of people, when you drill down uh, beneath the surface of some of the problems that they struggle with, um, depression, anger, uh, withdrawal, reclusion, um, legalism. There's a long list of things. I think at the bottom of the well is shame. Mm -hmm. Um, And shame is, you know, this, let me define it for our our listeners today that, you know, shame is this sense of irreversible loss of our personal uh, dignity, uh, value, or usefulness that is caused by embarrassment and shame resulting from our wrong behavior or the wrong behavior of others toward us. So it's, it's this painful feeling that I have this irreversible problem. I've lost my dignity. I've mm. lost my value. I've lost my usefulness or respect uh, because of the embarrassment or humiliation my wrong behavior or someone's behavior toward me uh, has created. And a lot of people, uh, Bill, I, I are stuck there. 
that they have this feeling like, you know, I just simply, I, I, I cannot be redeemed. I, 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 yes, God has forgiven me. Jesus has died for me. But yet, underneath it is this emotional feeling that, um, no, something is really wrong with me. And the, the Bible calls it worldly sorrow. Um, in 2 Corinthians 7, verses 10 and 11, Paul is talking about the difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. And worldly sorrow is that, that soul-crushing feeling of guilt, condemnation, shame over wrong behavior that drives us away from God and others. Worldly sorrow drives us from God. It drives us from other people. It leaves us feeling overwhelmed with guilt and hopelessness, uh, unending regret, sometimes a desire to not even go living, go on living. I, I say that you know if you're struggling with worldly sorrow or shame because it's a hammer. It just beats you down. It just beats you up. It's, it's merciless. But godly sorrow, our feelings of deep conviction and remorse over wrong behavior, that draws us to repent and return to Christ. In other words, uh, worldly sorrow or shame is a hammer. Uh, godly sorrow or conviction is a magnet. Um, if I could illustrate that from uh, the Gospels, Peter and Judas both really did something bad the weekend of Jesus's crucifixion. Uh, Peter you know, denied him and called down oaths that he didn't know the man. And Judas, of course, sold him for 20, 30 pieces of silver. Um, what happened? Judas, overcome with worldly sorrow, went out and hung himself. Peter, overcome with godly sorrow, wept. And when he heard that Jesus had risen on Sunday morning, he ran to the tomb. He didn't run away from it. Mm. He didn't say, oh, no, Jesus is alive. I've got to get out of town. Mm -hmm. No, I, I am so in trouble for what I've done. I could never face him again. He would never have me back. No, he ran to the tomb that morning. And that really is kind of the choice that is before us with things that can cause shame in our lives. Are we going to run to the tomb, run to the cross, or are we going to run from God into further despair and into further um, self, um, you know, despising and, and even, you know, thinking that life is no longer worth the living. So shame is an issue that um, has a lot of different ways it can manifest itself. Mm -hmm. So, Bob, uh, guilt can be something you can feel uh, a very specific way about, and then you can have that guilt removed. But shame seems like it's one of those things that almost infects you, and and you carry it with you, because isn't that one of the enemy's uh, tactics, is to try to get you uh, staying in a shame-based sort of um, place? Well, you know, shame comes out of the fact that we do things wrong, that we sin that we violate God's word. We like, you know, Adam and Eve, what's the first thing they did after they, you know, ate the, the fruit? They hid. They hid from, from God. Mm -hmm. He was walking in the cool of the garden, and they had this sense of nakedness, and, and they had this sense of shame. 
And and one of the things, and I think it was Jesus that was walking in the garden, you know, that, that went to find them. Um, he, I, I think that, you know, in that, he said, who told you you were naked? You know, who who put this shame upon you? And, of course, it came out of the sin, and he 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 killed animals or animal skins and covered their uh their nakedness and and covered that that sense of shame which was a a foreshadowing of the cross and you know i'm willing to give a, a spoiler alert at the beginning of today's conversation that the answer to shame is the cross it is the only answer to shame you you cannot work your way out of it you cannot um be sorry enough to get free from it. You can't do enough good. You can't be a different enough person to erase shame. That won't do it. Mm -hmm. It won't go away. The only answer is the cross where Jesus bore our shame, where he took the shame of everything I've ever done or said. And it's real. I mean, it's a real, uh, it's, it's real wrong. It's real sin. It's real guilt, but he took that and he bore with that the shame that comes with it. And I like to to say that, um, you know, a lot of people who are familiar with word processors, something like Word, you know, that they use to, to write on their laptop or computers, that there's a search and replace feature that I love, where if you spelled something wrong or you had the wrong date, you can type in the wrong thing and put replace with the right thing and then hit a button and it will replace every one of them, you know, in the whole body of what you've written. Sometimes I have 50 replacements done with one push of the button. <laughs> and, and you know what, what I'm, what I'm excited about is just take the word shame over anything you've done, said, thought, failed to do that was wrong. Take that and, you know, put in the word shame in, in, in the search for, and underneath it, in the replace, put, put the cross. And then hit the button. Because when we, when we come to Christ and believe in what he did, repent, of course, admit, confess, own the consequences if need be. But when we hit that button, when we put our faith in the cross, he can delete shame from every experience in our lives, every memory, every situation we've ever been in, where either we did things that were shameful or people did shameful things for us. Um, it doesn't mean we don't have to deal with some of these things, but we don't have to deal with it with the toxi toxicity of shame as part of it. Mm -hmm. So, Bob, if God is relieving a person of shame, what about the person that was on the other end of this wrong behavior, and they're deciding not to let you forget what happened. Well, that's entirely up to them. Now you're into the topic of reconciliation. Right. Are they willing to reconcile? You know, there's five R's to reconciliation. Um, let me distinguish between forgiveness and reconciliation. Forgiveness, biblically, is the canceling of a moral debt and giving up the right to pay someone back, uh, to take your revenge, if you will. Forgiveness is I cancel your debt, and I give up any right to repay you for this in a harmful or, or angry or hateful way. 
that is not the same as establishing trust or, or re, uh, restoring trust. That's reconciliation. Reconciliation is where we take the steps where you can begin to trust me again. You can forgive me, but you don't necessarily trust me. Mm-hmm. And in some cases, you shouldn't. You know, When I have people in my office whose spouse has cheated on them, they'll look at me and say, but you're asking me to forgive them, but how do I know no, they won't do that again? And I, I have to say, wait, no, I'm not, you're confusing forgiveness and, re- and reconciliation. Forgiveness is that you are clearing them of that moral debt and giving up the right to pay them back. Now, they still have to reconcile with God over that or, or seek his forgiveness, but you're forgiving them. But should you trust them again? That's another question. And reconciliation is the process of the restoration of trust. Mm-hmm. And uh, Gary Chapman, in his wonderful book, Five Languages of Apology, says, we reestablish trust through, one, taking responsibility for what we did. No excuses, not blaming you, not minimizing. I, I did it. Number two is remorse. I'm sorry I did it. I feel the pain I caused you. I feel pain over what I've done to my own life. Uh, through this, but I have remorse. Number three is repentance. I won't do this again with God's help. I won't lie to you. I won't cheat. I won't spend money that I don't tell you about. I, you know, I won't gossip. I won't yell at you. Whatever it is that we need to repent of, it's a true change of mind. And number four, restitution. How can I make this right with you? Mm -hmm. What can I do to fix what I've broken? And finally, number five, a request, will you accept my apology? So in answer to your question, what if the person on the other end doesn't want to let me forget? Um, They may not. They may not choose to reconcile. They may choose not to forgive. That's their choice uh, to make. But even so, I don't have to live with the shame of it anymore. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, let me, take a, let me take a little break. Bob Mueller's my guest. We're talking about finding freedom from shame today. Uh, if you have a question regarding that, let us know what it is. You can uh, send a text to 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. Back to the show, Bob Mueller is my guest. We're talking about finding freedom from shame. Bob, you have great, um, great material on this. This is uh, really interesting how the shame is either going to, uh, there's godly sorrow and worldly sorrow, and uh, godly sorrow is a magnet and worldly sorrow is a hammer. That is uh, spot on. Well, thank you. You know, a lot of times people struggle. And it's usually Christians that are, have a sensitive conscience and a sensitive heart. They struggle with um, thinking that maybe the worse I feel about myself, the more God believes I was sincere when I, when I repented or when I asked his forgiveness. But they never let go of it. Mm-hmm. Um, they hang on to this and they tell others about it or they shrink away from opportunities to serve or they feel you know, this or that. No, sin, of course, always has consequences. And some of those can can go on, you know, and remain. But that's different than carrying a sense of 
you know, shame. Uh, when people ask me, is this from the Holy Spirit, what I'm feeling or not? I'll say, well, let me ask you a question. What you're feeling, what you're struggling with, is that creating a uh, desire for you to return to God? Is this creating a, uh, a longing and eagerness uh, to be back in right relationship with God? Or is this, um, is this beating you down, beating you up, discouraging you, making you feel like you want to give up? Um, you can tell if it's a hammer or a magnet. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm a beautiful example of this is when um, Jesus, after his resurrection, met with the disciples by the lake shore and had breakfast for them. And he talks to Peter um, in particular. And, you know, he says he, he doesn't directly bring up what happened with the denial. He just says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter goes, I do, I do, I do. And, you know, it was the magnetism of Christ's love for him. And Peter's being drawn to that love and being drawn to Jesus. That's, you never read in any of the other writings of Peter, first and second Peter, or any of his messages in the book of Acts that we have recorded, he never brings up the uh, courtyard denial again. Good point. He, he never mentions again what he did. Um, Jesus forgave him. Jesus took his shame. And Peter doesn't visit it again. He doesn't, you know, keep going, well, yeah, you know, I'm an apostle, but guys, let's remember, I was the one on, you know, that that night that denied that I even knew him. No, Peter goes on with the rest of his life to, to be such a powerful and effective leader. Um, and Jesus commissions him, you know, by the, by the lake that day to, to feed the, feed his flock, to feed his lambs. So my point is, is that you'll know if it's the Holy spirit of the devil, by which direction you're being pulled. Mm-hmm. So let's uh, talk about most of us have had decisions in our life that we regret. And there's always been a certain amount of shame, I think, or remorse that have come with those decisions. Uh, what, do we, what do we do to move forward? Well, here's some steps I encourage people with. You know, if you've done something wrong, you need to confess that. And confession means agreement with God. You know, I did this. Yes, it was wrong. I take responsibility. Yes, I I did that. I express remorse for the pain that I've caused others, even the pain I've caused myself. I express genuine remorse over that. I accept the consequences that my sin may have produced. I don't try and run from those or um, deny them. I, you know, I accept them. And an important step in this is to identify the core spiritual issues that led me into this sin. You know, many times we don't stop to really reflect what was wrong in, in, in my life. What spiritual issues? Was it pride? Was it unbelief? Was it lust? What was going on here that led me to this? You want to identify that. And, you know, those are the things that you want to repent of because that's what really actually led you into this. Um, I, I say, you know, repent, resolve, resist. Mm-hmm. You repent, you know, Lord, I agree this was wrong, and I, with your help, I'll never go here again. 
Number two, I will resist this next time in the power of the Spirit. Um, and, uh, you know, I'll, I'll trust you for, for the victory in this. But, but then finally, you have to give your shame to Jesus, who has already borne it on the cross. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to deal with what you've done, responsibility, remorse, repentance, restitution. But then you must simply turn it over to the cross of Christ and realize he did take my shame that day. The, the very thing that I did was laid upon him. And he willingly accepted that, and he carried it away, just as he carried my guilt away. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Well, you know, God's Word has other wonderful promises, like uh, Romans uh, 10, 10, and 11. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. And as the Scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Mm-hmm. Anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. And we do need to trust him and, and give him uh, whatever it is. Um, you know, that might, for people who have been believers, such as myself and perhaps yourself for years, on the one hand, that seems like such an obvious thing. But on another level, do we really do that? Do we really look at what shame we carry? Uh, some people carry shame from the homes that they grew up in. Um, maybe that one of the parents was an alcoholic. Maybe they were verbally abusive. Um, maybe I was talking to one person recently. The, the father did not work consistently, and he, he remembers the day the doorbell rang and someone came and repossessed their car. And they didn't answer the door right away because they knew who it was, so the doorbell rang, 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 and he wouldn't go away until finally he got the car and left. And even though that was decades ago, he says every time the doorbell rings, something inside him clutches up. Mm, wow. you know, something inside just just goes, oh, no. And the shame of that situation. So sometimes it's not what we've done. It's the world that we were raised in. Uh, I remember we had a uh, cabin for years when I lived in Minnesota. We had a cabin in Wisconsin across the border. It was only a couple hours away, and we loved to go over to it. Our neighbor would watch over our property, particularly plow the driveway in the winter for us. He was a farmer. And I went over there once, Cheryl and I did, to, um, I guess, ask for something or whatever it was. We needed to just talk to him. And his daughter answered the door. She was a young adult or teenager, and uh, he was away. But the mother was an alcoholic. And we came to the door, and we said, hey, could we talk to your mom about this? You know, whatever it was. We had an agreement with him about our cabin and, and whatever. And she goes, oh, I'm so sorry. This is the middle of the afternoon. My mom is asleep. She's just really tired lately. She's just had a lot on her mind, and so she's taking a nap. She isn't available. Well, my heart just sank because I knew she was drunk. Oh, boy. Bob, we're going to have to take a short break. We'll be right back with Bob Moeller. If you have questions about shame, let us know, 877-933-2484. In your life today. Sunday morning, 730 on Facebook. All right, we're back with Bob Mueller talking about 
finding freedom from shame today. Bob, I was sorry to cut you off kind of towards the end of that story. So uh, you can continue that. I would appreciate it. Well, uh, Bill, all I was saying was that she was covering for her mom. Sure. You know, who was drunk in the middle of the day. Right. And, you know, when you have to do that over and over again as a child or teenager, you're going to grow up with a sense of shame. You're going to grow up with a sense that I came from a home where things were deeply wrong and people in the community knew that. And, you know, you're just carrying that. And that's just one example of how sometimes and people that are victims of abuse can often carry shame for what is, a, you know, it wasn't their fault. And, and, and it was in no way did they bear the responsibility. But the stigma of that, you know, may remain in their lives or they feel it does. And again, Jesus wants to bear all that. Mm-hmm. He wants you to give him the shame that you feel over your family or maybe uh, those listening today that have had a divorce or been through something where they feel, you know, I'm forever marked and irreversibly so. I've lost my dignity or whatever. Um, I just want you to know that the Bible says there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And those who trust in the Lord will never be put to shame. Why? Not because we didn't do something shameful and not because we don't deserve the, uh, the, the stigmata, if you will. Mm-hmm. But here's the amazing good news is Jesus said, well, why don't you give that to me? I'll take that. I'll bear that. Uh, hanging there on the cross, spit upon, mocked, reviled, humiliated, embarrassed, all dignity taken away. He not only physically that day bore shame, but he took all of our emotional shame and spiritual shame as well. So if we're carrying it, it's not because he has not um, offered to take it, has not already borne it himself. We're just listening to lies. And we're listening to things that are keeping us um, in bondage when we don't have to be. Mm -hmm. Bob, what if you have carried this worldly shame for a long time and you don't want to have it anymore? And what if other Christians um, have condemned you for your past? Uh, How do we get this worldly shame transferred to godly shame and then deal with it and then have freedom from shame? Well, think about the woman who came and uh, wiped Jesus. I'd like to read something. I read how the Holy Spirit delivers you from shame from crosswalk.com. It says this, the prostitute anointed the feet of Jesus with ointment and wet them with her tears, had much of which to be ashamed. She was a sinner and an outcast. But Jesus pronounced that her sins were forgiven and told her to go in peace. Jesus overcame her shame by promising her that her sins were forgiven and she could now live in peace. She could have chosen to believe the condemnation and the judgment of the other guests and remain mired in shame, or she could choose to believe that Jesus had truly forgiven all her sins. The way to wage war against the unbelief that we are not truly forgiven is to trust the promise of Christ. And that's the battle you know, to wage war against the unbelief that we are not forgiven. And other people will try and sometimes reinforce that. No, you can't be forgiven. No, I don't forgive you. Um, I know of 
you know, a situation someone told me about where um, a young woman had to come and tell her parents she was pregnant. And her mother was so upset with her that she wouldn't wash her clothes with the other clothes in the family anymore after that. She washed it separately. I mean, imagine the shame that uh, she she had to carry. And that went through a great deal of her life and led her into some very more destructive relationships uh, because she could not accept that Jesus could forgive her and say, go in peace. You know, here's the thing. We, we really can't control what other people are going to say about us. We can't control how they choose to feel about us. Uh, what we can choose to believe is what God says about us. And we have to decide which voice we're going to listen to. What other people think, what other people say, or what God has said about us. And if if what God has said about us is, you know, your sins are forgiven, go in peace, and other people are going, but no, you're just, you know, such a rotten human being, you know, or this or whatever. Well, let, let them say it. But the point is we, when we stand before Christ, you know, at the end of the judgment seat of believers, not unbelievers, um, we know that that has been taken from us. We know that he has borne that on the cross. We know that's not going to be what he brings up and reminds us of and recalls. You know, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed, you know, our sin and iniquity for us. You know, the scandal of the life of Christ, Bill, wasn't it that he was always around shameful people mm-hmm. that he ate with the prostitutes and the tax collectors. And it says they welcomed him and, 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 and ate with him gladly. The scandal was, is that Jesus did not uh, traffic in shame the way the rest of that culture did. And actually, you know, my, my feeling is the more, the more legalisms, there's two extremes to cover shame. One is the legalism. I'm just going to add more rules to my life, which rule upon rule upon rule, maybe that will help alleviate this deep shame I feel. Or the other is I'll deny that it's sin and I'll celebrate it. I'll celebrate my sin. I'll parade it. I'll ask other people to endorse it and tell me how wonderful it is and that it's no sin at all. You know, both of those are wrong. Mm-hmm. Both of those are attempts to deal with shame. Yeah. So, Bob, I'd love to start looking at some steps we can take to leave our shame behind. Okay. Well, the first one is to identify it. You know, is shame at work in my life? Um, Do I believe not only that I've done something wrong, but something is wrong with me? I'm talking now um, primarily, uh, you know, about a a believer who who has received Christ, but am I still... Um, downloading shame on people? Do I shame my children when they do something wrong? Rather than correcting them and admonishing to them, do I leave them feeling that they have truly disappointed me, that they are truly an embarrassment to me, that they are truly, um, you know, just really um, a disappointment? Uh, Do I do that to people? Am I quick to judge others? for what they have done and actually translate into who they are. Hmm. Do I judge other people? Do I traffic and gossip? 
am I, I, I think people that traffic and gossip are very filled with shame. Um, am I highly critical of other people? Do I, uh, do I spot their faults almost immediately and somewhat mercilessly, you know, rehearse that? Um, you know, we can go down all list and, and is really shame at work in me. Mm-hmm. I tell people who come to see me, listen, um, I want you to know that I don't judge you. And it doesn't matter. You know, you come in, what you've done, I don't judge you because I haven't lived your life. I can't say I would have turned out better than you. I cannot look down at you with contempt and say I am superior to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is, that's, that's very prideful. I can look at your behavior and say that's wrong. That's very wrong. <laughs> Maybe even that was horrendous. Um, that We can judge behavior because Scripture tells us to. But we don't judge another person. And uh, I know some people carry shame about other things, you know, because of, you know, I'm from this group or that culture or this or that. You know, I've had people tell me they grew up with a sense of being, um, you know, not wanted or rejected or, you know, uh, you know whatever. And, and that developed some sense of, of shame. You know, no, the, that's other people's problems. That's, that's not you. And so we've got to identify, do we have shame in our life? Number two, we've got to ask ourselves, um, is this beating me up? Is this beating me down? Is, is, is this just, you know, taking the joy out of my life? Is it, is it leaving me hopeless? Is, is, do I feel worse about myself, myself, not necessarily what I've done, but do I, I constantly beat myself up as a person? Well, that's, that's a hammer. Mm-hmm. Or am I, uh, is God showing me something that I need to confess, that I need to admit to, that I need to ask his forgiveness for, maybe to reconcile with others, uh, you know, accept the consequences, whatever, uh, turn from it, repent from it. But am I being drawn back to God by this? Is this conviction a magnet? Let me read to you from 2 Corinthians 7. Um, Paul was writing to them after they had had kind of a scandal in the church. And he says this. um, I won't read the whole thing, just a portion of it to you, though. He says this. uh, For you became sorrowful uh, as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. There is a godly sorrow, Bill, that when we've done something wrong, that God intends we should feel and experience, but it doesn't destroy us. Mm -hmm. It it doesn't crush us. It doesn't leave us uh, roadkill. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads us to salvation and leaves no regret. Uh, That's the amazing part about this, is that if it's true repentance, if it's true godly sorrow, it doesn't leave regret at the end of the process. Worldly sorrow leaves nothing but regret. I meet people all the time who are carrying regrets, 10 years, 20, 30, 40 years. Some people regret how they raised their children or how they failed to raise them or the years that they spent away from God that they were drinking or, you know, into excess or ruining their lives. It, you know, but it says worldly sorrow brings death. See what godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness, that sincerity. 
What eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. Their godly sorrow resulted in positive things in their life. And spiritually, the way they responded, um, he said, was exactly what godly sorrow is intended to do. So my question to people is, um, are you being beaten to death by this hammer or are you being drawn back to Christ? And this is the um, this is the evidence of it. I, I want to make this right. I want to. I want to fix this. I, I want to get back into close fellowship with God. I want to leave this behind. I want to know his presence. Um, in the Old Testament, people think often that David's greatest sin was with Bathsheba, that his adultery was, you know, the low water mark of his life. I don't think so. I think the low water mark of his life, as low as that was, was when he conducted a census of the people of Israel. He counted his fighting men when he wasn't supposed to. And God sends a plague that kills 70,000 people in three days. Wow. I don't know if that story is, is read or, but 70,000 people die. And, and, and uh, David says, oh, why, why didn't you punish my family? Why are these, why are these other people dying? And, and how do I stop this? Now, you know, Bathsheba was horrible. And a baby died from that, and that's horrible. But 70,000 people? I just wonder how I'd live with that on my conscience. How could I overcome knowing I had caused the death of that many people? Well, what happens is David is, is saying, God, how can I, what can I do? And he says, go to the threshing floor of Arana, the Jebusite, buy that and build an altar to me. And so David rushes over there with his chariots and, runs up to the guy and says, I've got to buy this threshing floor, please. I don't care what you charge me. I'm buying it. I've got to offer a sacrifice. And this godly Arana says, look, uh, my king, uh, you don't have to buy anything. I'll give you the oxen. I'll give you my uh, sledges, my, my plowing equipment. Take all this and, and make an offering here. And David does finally pay him for it and makes an, alt, an offering there. And the plague stops. Well, there's many spiritual lessons from that, but one of them is when we repent of our sins, as God would intend us with godly sorrow, one of the evidences of that is this desire to return to worship. We want to worship God again. David absolutely, you know, goes full out, uh, breaks the speed limit to get there to build this altar and again worship God as he did. And the plague stops at that point. You know, sometimes uh, wives will ask me, you know, will my husband be faithful to me again? How do I know he's changed? He says he's changed. And I'll say, what's his attitude toward worship? Hmm. Um, Does he want to, is he hungry again for the word of God? Is he longing to be at church? Is he once again in the scriptures? Is he once again in prayer? Is he, does he have this, this, this hunger for worship? If he does, I think you're okay. I think he's going to be fine because that's what David did. Yeah. And by the way, Bill, the postscript of that story is that threshing floor, that place of great shame, if you will, of David, 70,000 people's lives needlessly spent because of his foolish bride. 
that is exactly the place where Solomon built the temple. Yeah, fantastic. And that's where, that's where the Holy of Holies was built. Amazing. Bob Muller's my guest. We're talking about finding freedom from shame. We'll take a short break and be right back. Bob Mueller's my guest. Finding freedom from shame is our subject today. Bob, this has been incredibly helpful. It's really nice the way you've been uh, navigating us through this. Well, thanks very much. You know, it's been a personal journey for me as well. Yeah. Um, to begin to discover, you know, just the incredible freedom that Christ purchased. He, he died to give us this freedom. Yes. Um, he was willing to... Uh, I I have to say that it moves me uh, to tears to think of the shame that Jesus bore just for me, you know, the, 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 that he had to bear on my behalf. And then at the same time, it brings me to tears at how willingly he was to do this, mm-hmm. um, how much he did not shrink. You know, the book of Hebrews um, chapter Twelve. Sometimes when Cheryl and I have written some books, and when sometimes people say, "Would you put your signature in here?" Um, this is one of my favorite verses to uh, give people. Is found in uh, Hebrews. Let me just get to it. Um, Hebrews twelve one and two. It says this. Um, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. Um, He didn't run from the shame of the cross. He didn't say, I don't deserve this, and I'm not going to have any part of it. Rather, you know, the shame uh, was, well, he, he welcomed that. He, he, he was willing to, to carry that. And, you know, we just need, I just encourage listeners, hour by hour, if that's what you need to do, as you look back over your life, the things that make your heart sink, you've confessed them, you've tried to make them right with people, you know, you've you, you've done the things that you've repented. You you've done this, but you still carry this weight. You know, that's what I just want you to say. You know, today, Lord Jesus, I just give this to the cross. I just thank you that you. T- I just give this to you um, to take from me. Um, I just transfer this to the cross today. Mm-hmm. And if you start doing that and saying that and meaning it you're going to find something lift in your spirit and soul. You're going to find weight begin to be lifted off your shoulders, and you're just going to find that you can even think about past things that used to trigger shame in your life. And you can think about them and go, oh, that was painful. And, you know, yeah, I surely wish I had not done or said that, but I don't, I'm not carrying shame any longer. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I, I don't have to look back at that with shame. I can look back with godly sorrow, but I don't have to look back with shame. And you will begin to find freedom. 
I like that. That um, you may have been looking for your whole life. Mm-hmm. So interesting. So maybe you would share with us some of the personal lessons that you've uh, learned from your regrets and shame. Well, you know, I've learned uh, a number of things. Let me, that's a good question. I, I encourage everybody to learn from your regrets. They're wonderful teachers. They're horrible masters. <laughs> Don't let them be your master. Don't let them control your life, but they can teach you something. They can be a professor, you know, from everything that we have experienced in life, there's a lesson that can be learned. And God wants to take that experience and turn it into something positive. You know, one of the things, you know, that I've done before that I regretted, even felt shameful about was quitting some ministry assignments because I got frustrated because I, you know, there was too much conflict or there was just too much this or criticism or I didn't feel enough appreciation. And, you know, there were times I look back where I just walked away from some situations. I don't need this. You know, I'm tired of it. and I quit. And, you know, that really led to some very, very negative, you know, consequences and problems for myself and for my family and even my ministry and whatever. And I repented of quitting. I learned a lesson from it. I wrote down 12 things I learned from my worst mistakes. My 12 life lessons stated positively. Never, ever feel sorry for yourself. Um, Remember, more people are counting on you than what you know. Remember, God is working in ways that you don't know. Um, Stay close and connected no matter what you're going through to your family and your wife and your kids. Uh, another lesson was sometimes have a, a pastoral friend or counselor who can help save your heart. Mm. Um, all of these things are life lessons that I learned the hard way. There's a backstory to each one. But today they're a blessing rather than a source of regret because I learned I, you know, what it was. Uh, and by the way, I, I haven't quit anything since then. Very little, you know, it's been years. <laughs> Today, you've got to fire me, throw me out, you know, do something, <laughs> yeah. you know, drag me by my feet. It's okay, but I'm not quitting until God says, you're done here. You're finished. I repented of quitting, and that has been a blessing. But I had to sit and write down, Jesus, tell me, what should I have learned from this experience? And if you haven't done that with your greatest mistakes, you're missing actually a blessing. Now you're missing something that could be a benefit to you for the rest of your life. Mm, so powerful. Bob, this has really been a great, uh, great lesson, great hour. I know you've got an event uh, coming up for, uh, to equip pastors and leaders in a very practical way. This is coming up a week from tomorrow on October 3rd. Uh, tell our listeners who are, I know a lot of pastors listen to the show and leaders, would you give us a, a little um, uh, in commercial about that. I'll, yeah, I'll yeah say it's that called word. Engage 2020. Uh, it's a fresh start preparing for the post-pandemic ministry. And every church has been impacted by this, and we're all wondering, well, what will life be like as something like normal returns, if there ever will be a normal? And my good friend Tim Johnson, Pastor Tim Johnson, has uh, been the head of the Minnesota Church Ministries Association uh, for many years. And yearly, he pulls together leaders, teachers, others 
to uh, have a one day, and this is going to be an online seminar, mm-hmm. a Zoom meeting, Saturday from 9 a.m. to 12:15, and you can go to the Minnesota Church Ministries Association. You can be part of it. Anyone is welcome to uh, sign in. I think there is a cost for it, but you're willing a registration fee. And I'm going to give the keynote address, which is things will never be the same and why that's good news. Exactly. Um, and then I've got a seminar on marriage. Uh, if, you, root pro, if you focus on solve the root problems in marriage and the fruit problems will take care of themselves. I love it. I love it. So the web address is mcmaonline.org. Yeah, MCMA, Minnesota Church Ministries Association, mcmaonline.org. Mm-hmm. Perfect. That's it. Yeah. Bob, thank you so much for doing the show today. It's always good to catch up with you, and, and uh, I always learn a lot when you come on. Well, thank you, Bill. I uh, love talking to you and uh, the folks in Minnesota. And, uh, Amen. Got to go fishing there this summer, caught yeah. a 15-pound catfish. So That's what you uh, say. I love home. That's what you say. <laughs> I want to see a picture. a picture. All right. I want to see the picture. <laughs> Thanks, Bob. Have a great day and blessings you to too. Cheryl. Yep. All right. Thank that wraps you. up our time together with Bob Moeller. We're going to take a little break. We'll be back with our two. Jeff Dodge is going to be on the program. He's going to be talking about ransomed and redeemed. And then we're going to also uh, I mean, learn that from Greg Heddington. And then uh, Jeff Dodge will be back on the book of Titus. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.